um, I don't know if you guys got a chance to like look at the article I sent. The I guess it was yesterday, um, midday. I kind of went on a rant in our group chat that was like, this picture is going to be like that fucking <laughs> Saigon execution photo from Vietnam, right? Yeah. Um, and it's Mike Pence standing in the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, no mask on, surrounded by everyone in masks, including a patient in the bed who is looking <laughs> up at him in terror. And yeah, the eyes of the patient are quite uh, yeah. extreme. It's iconic photo for sure. I don't know. I mean, I have a hard time imagining that it will actually carry any sort of historical weight because I, I really unless am, Mike Pence does die of coronavirus. Well, maybe. Yeah. But I mean, I'm pretty I'm, I'm mostly pessimistic on the uh, political agency of individual pictures at this point. I think a lot of that. <laughs> Ship has sailed as we've entered this uh, kind of new media environment, but That's you know, true. what do I know? Already, I thought your semester was over. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I only whatever. <laughs> the final lecture. <laughs> what is um. image power? <laughs> <laughs> I want you to talk for an entire semester like that in that voice. Um, yeah. Well, go back to school, Vince. <laughs> no, 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 I don't actually talk like that. So, like, I, what? So, what happened here is like, you know, okay. So this, I guess, a one remove. This should be like, wow. Okay, we now have the. Uh, it, it's actually so beautiful that like Pence doesn't understand. You know, actually, like how he sort of visually represents himself uh, <laughs> in this sort of thing. Cause it just sort of like brings to light the, I mean, it's just emblematic of the entire administration's approach to, uh, to COVID, but the, but then I, I think the really funny thing to me was like the Mayo clinic initially said uh, they, they tweeted out something about how they had informed Pence that, that uh, he should wear a mask or that this is their mask policy. But then they like deleted right. the tweet and it was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is this is uh, I guess the Mayo Clinic is worried about losing uh, its share of PPE from the federal, uh, federal largesse. Yeah. I mean, well, it, it is definitely just emblematic of like uh, how like stupid and image obsessed like everybody is. Probably starting with Trump. I'm assuming that like you know Pence decided not to wear a mask because like Trump would have made fun of him or something like that or like. It, I, I don't really know what like the personal reason for it is, but it I just mean, I don't think it has to be personal at all. I think clearly, you know, it fits with their narrative of the right wing in the United States. Again, you know, meaning from Joe Biden and Andrew Cuomo to mm -hmm. uh, to your Trump's and I don't know, Richard Spencer mm -hmm. or something um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, you would you'd basically want to project an image of of like, well, it's fine. You know, the. The heads of state, for example, you know, the heads of state are tested for COVID all the time. And so they don't have to wear masks, even in an environment where, you know, you probably have to wear a mask all the time, no matter what. Right. Even right. if there's not a pandemic. Uh, I mean, this so. is what pisses me off so much is that also like this is a powerful piece of propaganda that reinforces the idea that like that the all Uber we need match. to reopen is just testing. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. 
because like testing or contact tracing in some capacity, because like, obviously that is only one part of the puzzle Mm -hmm. in terms of like controlling this. But, you know, and him saying, no, 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 I don't need to wear it because of the frequency of my test. Because I've been tested. Right. 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 Because I'm tested and I'm tested frequently. Well, there's a fucking test. Like it's not immediate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Like, it's not like a rapid test. It's not like sticking a thermometer up someone's butt and you get a temperature three minutes later. Like, this is like a... What's the turnaround time on these tests? It's like two days. I think it's like... Uh, at least. At, at, at least, I think it has a, like, 30-hour uh, testing procedure yeah. at minimum. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> Even so if you're ahead of like state, no... there's there's a, an amount of time that the test takes. There's just no and if anyone's right. telling you that their rapid test is faster, then they are lying to you or they haven't tested their test well enough because right. it just doesn't exist like that right now. That's not how it happens. You know what I yeah. mean? Mm-hmm. And frankly, like, you know, considering the number of people that like I'm assuming Mike Pence like literally comes in contact with every single day, like you should stay away from him. Because he is Especially, clearly yeah. not practicing. Like, if you see Mike Pence on the street, like you should cross the street. You know that guy is that guy is a walking disease vector at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I would not feel comfortable shaking Mike Pence's hand. Well, uh, I, I would feel less comfortable. If <laughs> like if he were so. Like I always try to think about this. Like with when Boris Johnson uh, was <laughs> diagnosed with uh, <laughs> coronavirus, they Good they times. let people know, right? Right. Um, Eventually, yeah. Eventually. (laughs) But they did ultimately let people know. I sort of wonder whether or not that would happen in the United States. I don't think it would. I think that they would just sort of like Pence wouldn't show up for a few days and, you know, some questions would be asked like, oh, no, he's just uh, he has other things to do. And then, you know, we just sort of uh, move on. I don't think that they would tell people. I mean, I think that's clearly how they would uh, handle it if it were like Biden in the White House. Just throw more self-tanner. Just just put a little more bronzer on him and roll him out there for the press conference. He only needs to be out there for three or four minutes and put CNN in the front row. It's fine. I mean, like, the only <laughs> times that you really hear, I, I'm trying to think about the only times you've ever heard of a president with a report of um, ill health, like basically right. something incredibly untoward needs to happen. Like Reagan gets uh, assassinated uh, or uh, Bush chokes on a pretzel or like, right. you know, it's like, it's very rare. <laughs> they like collapse at a dinner or something like that. Like something untoward <laughs> has to happen in public. Yeah, exactly. Well, right. I mean, this is, this is the thing though. This is kind of what I mean about image power basically. Right. Cause it's like, there's, there's almost, um, there's less, I feel like there's frequently less like image power in an individual clear evidence of, you know, one photograph, for example, anymore mm-hmm. that's recirculated. But there is, there's like more, there's almost like there's more image power in the sense of like image, uh, in the very abstract sense, mm-hmm. like how well it's tailored and what is, what is not shown basically. Mm-hmm. And right. that's, I mean, that's what I think, I think Phil's right. What like the United States is, excels at and why I don't think that our heads of state would be, uh, <laughs> would like be open about well, ever having contracted then, the pandemic. Then I'll, yeah. revi- I'll revise my I'll revise my prediction, and I'll just say that I have a feeling that this image of Mike Pence will, in retrospect, be just as violent in our minds as the Saigon execution photo. How sure. about that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because fair. You yeah, know, that's no, that's fair. Uh, I was trying to think about it in a poetic sense because, like, the whole headline has been that the United States has just surpassed the death toll. 
of the of Vietnam, Vietnam War, War right. which, yeah. you know, was over the course of years, right? Um, and that's just since January. Which, if you count the Vietnamese, we probably... <laughs> or if you actually counted <laughs> or, the sorry, accurate number yeah, of exactly. COVID deaths, we would have surpassed that figure probably easily a month ago, right? right? Yeah. Because we're so yeah. positive that we're still under-reporting here. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. <laughs> that's about... Well... <laughs> Yeah, Shall we start the show? That's about it's, as poetic as it gets today, folks. It's dumb as fuck. I will, though, like, let's just, like, offer the the counterfactual, right? Like, if there was, a, like, like say, like, Obama was president or something like that, there would be, like, a million photos of him, like, in a mask, and there would be a bunch of people on cable television being, like, like you know, Obama wears a mask provocative statement or not. And then like a bunch of like sort of like center left leaning people being like, he's demonstrating the right way to do this. Like, like kind of like Mr. Rogers energy. And like, it would be, uh, it would be its own like sort of stupid sideshow circus. So like get like patted on the back for keeping drone strikes going, even though the pandemic's happening. And then there would be like a press uh, kerfuffle over him wearing like a beige mask. Or something. Oh, dude, listen, um, listen to but me. he'd still be they'd still be fucking up. Look all at Obama over the place. and his dad mask. Yeah. I mean drone strikes um, contribute to GDP, as we all right. know. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, I, I wish I that. were lying. But yeah. I really wish you were, but you're not. That's actually yeah, you're not even womp. joking. Womp womp. Welcome to the death panel. Um should we do an yeah, intro? Let's do an intro. Yeah. Welcome to the Death Panel, the flagship podcast of the New York State Board of Elections, oh. bringing you the latest updates on all of the regional beauty contests that we're suppressing here. JK, JK. <laughs> uh, you know, real talk. Uh, if you'd like a second episode, you can become a patron. Patreon.com slash death panel pod. You um, also get access to the entire back catalog. And we did an excellent episode breaking down the New York State budget where we actually broke the news of the Bernie uh, primary cancellation because it happened mid recording and that was like three days before well, it even no we were the, news the idea that, was it, floated yeah yeah the, the idea was floated right they didn't uh, it wasn't until just this monday that the primary was canceled but the, we, we the, to our credit we're talking about it two weeks before pretty much and I, I will say that doug i did quote doug kellner in that episode who was on record in the announcement that they were considering it saying that they were likely going to go ahead with it regardless of any objections. So um, if you haven't listened to that episode and you're a patron, go back and listen to it. If you um, are not a patron, become one. Support the show. And uh, my spiel's over. Let's move on. GDP. You were saying something about GDP and drones, Phil. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah, Um, (laughs) no. So we got the... uh, I always like to to think about this. Like We always talk about how our understanding of reality is on a lag because the numbers haven't come in yet. And this is certainly true for like coronavirus deaths as we'll, as we'll talk about it, but it's also entirely true for the sort of the national economic figures that we use to plan, uh, what we need to do to, to, you know, get out of, uh, an economic recession or depression. And like Congress has been debating all of these bills, uh, around coronavirus really either in the absence of information about the the actual economic effects that uh, the virus is having or in the presence of very, I would say, 
optimistic or uncertain uh, projections. And like, there's mm-hmm. already projections that like, you know, by quarter three of this year, um, we're going to be sort of getting back to positive GDP growth and, you know, unemployment <laughs> is going to go way down. And, yeah. and just looking at the first quarter figures uh, in GDP, which just came out from the Bureau of Economic Analysis um, yesterday, we are, um, it's, it's not good. Uh, so <laughs> on an annualized basis, GDP shrunk uh, about 4.8%. Uh, it's about 1.2% down from, from last quarter. This is gigantic. It doesn't sound uh, big, but it is uh, huge. Yeah. Uh, but it's also what's uh, fascinating about it is sort of where uh, the majority of the decline comes from. And mm-hmm. the number one contributor to the uh, decline in gross domestic product is, in a moment of pandemic, healthcare. Uh, that is the number one contributor to the decline in um, uh, consumption. Uh, just just and, quick yeah. uh, question. I want to confirm. Uh, 2020 quarter three is what? Uh, November, right? When yeah, those numbers right. will be on. Cool. Yeah. So in November, everything's going to be totally fine. Back to normal. Um, <laughs> GDP will be 100% recovered. We will all be employed. Everyone will have four jobs, in fact. Right. Um, and actually uh, that might be like more health care than ever. Right. And we're going to, we're going to like put all health insurance into like fully subsidized mode. So we're going to offset that. Right. You know, right. the government well, will just I swoop mean, in and notably, bail out the insurers. Notably insurers are doing fine. I mean, we talked about United health. Uh, I think we talked about United healthcare is still, still quite profitable quarter one, um, mm-hmm. last, uh, like two, two or three weeks ago. And then like Cigna and a bunch of other like Anthem, um, health insurers released their numbers, uh, I think today and yesterday, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all like, you know, beating Wall Street expectations and, and doing pretty fine. I think a lot of this comes from clearly like, you know, people well, are, if you uh, don't, if, if, if none of your, uh, like if no one insured on any of your plans, uh, is like able to go and get procedures then you don't have to pay for them exactly (laughs) you're hoarding they're hoarding resources at this point they're hoarding their premium dollars i mean i think this is the thing that i think this is the the thing that frustrates me so much um and it has for like every election cycle since the dawn of time basically but particularly since like the 2016 and 2020 election cycles the so much of the line coming from your sort of uh like liberal standard bearers or whatever from like mm-hmm. uh I don't know even even thinking of the the prevalence of um your like pod saves saying things like oh well you know uh health healthcare and and health, the health industry is like 20% of our economy and so why would you want to so drastically change it well check it out guys like <laughs> some pretty drastic changes have uh, taken place here and uh you know you, you had a you had a moment you had a you if you only had one shot you had a chance to <laughs> yeah. uh, one opportunity. you opportunity know. right uh, well yeah it's it's ridiculous. I mean, it just speaks to, to, well, I mean, I guess I, I would assume if you listen to this podcast, you're, you're like well aware of, uh, the f- fucked up incentive structure of, you probably the, think it's in- stupid for us to even talk about GDP. Yeah. As a concept. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, well, or maybe you'd already seen that statistic. Uh, but, but I mean, it does, you know, at, like at the end of the day, sort of seriously, just speak to how unbelievably fucked we are and this system, the system of incentives essentially is. But um, also it does, it does sort of speak to the fact that like 
what is what is gross domestic product, right? It's it's in, something that was invented more or less during the Second World War. It was a wartime mm-hmm. uh, instrument. And mm-hmm. the whole point of GDP, because there were other measures out there at the time, and the whole point of GDP was unlike those other measures, it had one thing in it that made it special, mm-hmm. right? That was very important to demonstrating um, the ability of the U.S. to fight the war. You know what that one thing was? Government spending. That was mm-hmm. the one factor mm-hmm. in the equation that the other numbers didn't have, right? So that's what made it special. And mm. the really funny thing about why healthcare spending is so far down, it's not that there's less productivity or productivity in uh, healthcare right now, obvi- for obvious reasons. <laughs> it's that the government <laughs> isn't paying hospitals to create and use the capacity they have to fight the virus. Right. If it mm-hmm. did, we wouldn't be seeing the same economic decline uh, in the numbers. Um, that we do. And so it like it does speak to in a very profound way what it means that we don't have that like the way that we pay for uh, healthcare in the United States is not like the, the federal government isn't uh, forking over a lot of the bill. It's that when it really matters, <laughs> the government <laughs> isn't actually <laughs> kicking in its share. And uh, because effectively what we're allowing to do is we allow the resources uh, to be hoarded and uh, repurposed towards profit. Mm -hmm. I think this is a really Mm -hmm. important point because, uh, yeah, you know, just like, unfortunately, just like a lot of the things that we talk about, if you're one of those ghouls who actually, who like absolutely cares about, um, you know, the, the uh, amount of GDP in a nation relative to like other nations or whatever, and use that as your signboard for how good the capitalist economy is humming or whatever, then, uh, you know, sounds like maybe what you need is a stronger social safety net. But, um, <laughs> I mean, the average American like probably doesn't even touch half the things that are used to consider GDP or the average low income American. Right. I- I mean, I can't imagine that there's anything that I like participate in or contribute to that even like, mm-hmm. I don't know. You are counted. a healthcare super utilizer. Buddy. I am a yeah. super utilizer though. You're right. You're right. Hmm. Yeah. GDP uh, includes a lot of bad things, right? You know, you, you buy a pack of cigarettes, <laughs> you drive a Humvee or whatever. Don't um, either of those know, things though. That's be great that. for GDP. <laughs> you yeah, get divorced. Be, that's awesome for GDP. Our blind host <laughs> can drive a Humvee. Um, Driving a Humvee, buying cigarettes, giving them to children and offering divorces as I go. Yeah. All of those three things are actually um, related to one another. Also, I would imagine that the people who buying a Humvee and smoking cigarettes, they're the, like the propensity to be divorced already. Think of all your, uh, all, all your uh, medical bills be that you've gotten over the years, especially those that are, are basically like, uh, so here's, you know, drug X from Roche or whatever. And it, uh, the like line item on, on the bill that you get is like X tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then it shows that the insurer paid like $500 and then the hospital ate some amount. And then most of it is actually meaningless. And and then I owe three grand. No one actually pays it. But but you owe, yeah, you owe three grand. And then most of, most of, for most of it, like neither neither the insurance nor the hospital company nor like Roche are actually paying for it. But that number still contributes to GDP. So you are a huge when huge I, contributor to when GDP. I, when I default on my um, medical debt, <laughs> right, though, exactly. don't I negatively affect GDP? Yeah. So Yeah, but also think about all the jobs that you create 
like along the way by defaulting on my medical debt <laughs> well yeah i mean somebody's got to service that debt somebody's got to buy that debt somebody's going to uh they've got to like hire call center operators to bother you about it it's uh it's a whole system yeah. That's yeah. growth. Let's yeah. Not, let's not talk about my medical debt um, <laughs> anymore because I'm getting stressed out just thinking about it because okay. I am majorly behind on payments. But um, surprise. Anyways. Well, OK. So here we go. I feel like a proud American because I do contribute to the GDP. <laughs> <laughs> I can die happy now. <laughs> All is complete. Um, I mean, we've waves got- of grain. that go into a calculation like um massive new unemployment claims coming through again with the latest numbers which i really think is like just at this point should should uh, along with like the number of people like diagnosed with and having died of covid should literally be like the only number that anybody gives a shit about fuck this fuck this fuck this gdp number frankly like (laughs) fuck employment too though but yeah i mean (laughs) sure i think I, I mean, I just I think that it's interesting, actually, because we haven't been totally explicit about this. But, you know, this is this is has become quite sort of a theme of our uh, public episode recordings, actually, because when we when we all went into isolation, um, we kind of shifted our production schedule a little bit um, so that we basically like we we record our episodes for the most part, like Monday and Thursday mornings and Thursday We've mornings. We reclaimed our time from capitalism. Yeah. yeah. Thursday, Thursday mornings is when the new unemployment numbers come out. <laughs> so every time that we've recorded in the last like month and a half, basically we have recorded just like half an hour after, uh, the, like the government has come out and said, okay, this is how many million people have joined unemployment. <laughs> Um, and those today, are just like the people who week. were able to get their claims processed. Right, which is the extremely dark part of it. Yeah, yeah because I think the it's... majority of people that I know who have applied for unemployment have still not had their claims even Hi. shifted to pending hey. or under review. <laughs> How's it yeah. going, Vince? <laughs> well, and this is like a thing across states, right? I mean, Phil, you shared that thing with us today that said, what is it like? Um, I think in Michigan, there's like one in four uh, people who should probably be on unemployment who are unemployed are actually on like are Mm -hmm. able to get on unemployment um in some states it's like one in seven or something yeah Mm -hmm. there was this article in the new york times that came out across that was like wow administrative burdens are a huge hurdle to people seeking to collect unemployment Oh, my God. North Carolina, one in 10 unemployed workers. Yeah, yeah. So they talked about how North Carolina and Florida um, over the past decade, essentially, after 2008, have been gradually shifting like fewer and fewer percentages of its population like onto unemployment. Right. So they went from like something I think I want to say like 50 or 60 percent of like people who were jobless, like filed for unemployment down to like 10 percent in the past three years. Um, Not to mention the fact that like essentially someone in Michigan is making more money than they would if unless they were making like I think $27 an hour. But in Florida, it's like a very drastically different situation. And like people are going to be only getting like several thousand dollars compared to like tens of thousands, thousands of dollars in support through unemployment Mm -hmm. in other states. It's really just like quite disgusting to see the sort of hyper acceleration of like um, utilization on a system that's been essentially like designed for further and further austerity, like mm-hmm. to such a beautiful extent. Um, in you know, from one frame of thought, I guess, or one point <laughs> of view, for the past like couple of years, to just really watch it wreck shit. Now that um, 
the system's mm-hmm. like under like more demand and everything's just sort of like under this pressure. It, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it, but the other thing, but the other thing is just that like, you know, this, if you look like the, the New York times showed, uh, like data between 2007 and 2019 it, I mean, they show basically just, just this drastic shift in who, who gets covered or how, you know, what percentage of unemployed people like get covered and, and it's definitely interesting to like obviously look at it by state, right? Because in a lot of ways, in a lot of states, it sort of also tracks uh, with with like other administrative burdens uh, that have been popular in some of those states. Like if, uh, you know, for me, at least what comes to mind is like voting rights, um, right. you know, like a state like North Carolina, where they've just like, you know, engineered just fucking like, you know, absurd obstacles to to voting like you know you can see that they've basically engineered the exact same system in unemployment and like i really do think that those are of a piece yeah i mean i think the thing that they have in common right is the the state's uh sort of stance towards the person coming to uh take advantage of either their right uh, or or some sort of social uh, entitlement or, or, or benefit. Uh, the stance of the state in both cases is that the person who's coming to seek this thing is presumptively illegitimate. They're right. coming to seek right. it for some mm-hmm. illegitimate reason. They are trying to take the state for a ride. They're trying to vote fraudulently rather than the presumption of like, if someone is showing up to vote, we are going to presume that that costly activity that they had to take time to do, they will do <laughs> not for an illegitimate reason, but instead with like unemployment as well, it's like, okay, every week you have to document your job search. You have to register with employment services. You have to take a waiting period. I mean, it's yeah. right. I, what's have been, I'm curious, Vince, like what have the uh, administrative burdens as you've experienced them been like in New York? I mean, uh, m- my story is like pretty, I think will will ring pretty true for most people. I mean, it's basically just, you know, a, a sequence of like uh like website glitches, um mm-hmm. like, you know, forms that are incredibly arcane and impossible to like fill out correctly, um like not enough guidance. Like in my situation, like I've been sort of like in every step I've been very like early in trying to seek, you know, unemployment. Um, and so often in basically two situations, uh, I like filled out, you know, forms to the best of my ability, given that they were not, uh, correctly like formatted for somebody with, you know, like, uh, who is like a gig worker, right? Like a 1099 worker. Uh, and, and both times I filled them out incorrectly, um, because there was no guidance given at that point for how to fill those forms out that was later provided and and then additionally people sort of get segmented into when they applied uh because they they're changing the system so fast to to try and accommodate how many people are are applying so at the moment i'm like in the midst of of applying like reapplying by mail yeah (laughs) so you haven't even gotten to the period of heavy self-documented reporting that you'll need in order to continue to receive your payments which i feel like is also part of it and and to be totally honest like 
ineffective, out of date infrastructure for these applications is sort of part of like these website crashes, these glitches, shit mm-hmm. like bad phone systems is part of the design. I, I remember years ago um, when I was working as a paralegal, there's a, uh, a like city um, record system for courts and housing where you can look up deeds and look up landlords and it's really useful, but like it only works on like Internet Explorer Netscape, which barely exists anymore. <laughs> um, and you have to like type into it in all caps, which is funny because you see the IRS website. Um, it, people found out this week that like unless you typed your address in in all caps, like it wouldn't show um, anything for you. You couldn't move right. forward. It would just give you an error. And when I used to talk to like my bosses and be like, why don't they just update Hackress? Like, this is stupid. The city could afford to do it. They're like, no, 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 no. Everyone who needs to use it already knows how to use it. And we, you (laughs) know, like it wouldn't really be like, it would be hard to justify our fees, you know, if everyone could just look this stuff up, you know? So there's sort of this incentive one would, one would say, um, towards maintaining this like super arcane infrastructure and it's been used by so many municipalities and governors in order to like sort of uh, affect the dial and balance the budgets shall we say and, mm-hmm. and kick people off food stamps or or you know whatever i mean and- i even think i even think presuming like a, a a claim like the attitude of like presuming a claim is illegitimate versus like being somebody actually seeking help that even that like frame to me almost feels too credulous right like you know i think a lot of these systems were just explicitly set up to you know quote unquote save money which i also think is too credulous i mean i really just believe that these systems were set up to immiserate people like first and foremost think about the process of applying for disability that's another system that Mm -hmm. is set up to assume that like in all instances everyone that is applying for disability is assumed to be faking first and guilty of trying to defraud the government first and it is up to the applicant to prove that they are not trying to defraud the government and that they are actually disabled think about the fact Mm -hmm. that steve way um, is visited by Medicaid, I think it's every two months, just to recertify him as disabled, right? Someone with a lifelong condition that's documented as being a lifelong disability by every single me- medical expert. There's no ambiguity or disagreement there, but they still want to go and certify because it's like from day one, these systems, or from day whatever, when they were revised, these systems are inherently set up to assume people are, you know... Mm-hmm. Yeah, full I mean, of shit. you know who yeah. isn't assumed to be full of shit though is that guy who uh, added Trump on Twitter and said like, "Oh, New York, New York State needs uh, needs ventilators. Get in touch immediately." And then got a seventy million dollar, seventy nine million dollar, uh, sixty nine million dollar oh, payment. I was rounding up uh, <laughs> payment to to deliver ventilators that were never delivered. So I mean, you cool. know, need a lot of cool. <laughs> don't don't yeah. need a lot of documentation, I guess, for some things. Yeah. If you want a lot of money, no, no paperwork. It's fine. <laughs> if you want a little, little tiny little scrap of money, keep you going, keep you, keep you alive, keep you maybe in a home, keep you maybe being able to eat. No, fuck, fuck See, off. Money is a social <laughs> being. It needs to be around other money to reproduce. You can't just go sending money to poor people. It will be lonely in their bank accounts because oh, they God. have no other money for the money to socialize with. So. So it would cause I, a severe mental health crisis among currency if we were to give more people some money. 
Do you know what's going to infuriate you, though? <laughs> you know how economists think about unemployment insurance? You know what they call it? Um, they what? call it an automatic stabilizer. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've heard that term yeah. thrown around a couple of times recently. And Vince, mm, how, how automatic does it feel to you? Does not, <laughs> feel, does not feel terribly automatic. I, it's, uh, it, it also has failed to stabilize literally anything. <laughs> like, I mean... I feel like if you had an opt-out unemployment insurance, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, or if unemployment insurance didn't depend on states, which when mm-hmm. a recession happens, they quickly deplete their their trust funds for unemployment. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then they have mm-hmm. two options. They can raise taxes on worker or on employers who fund the program, or they can just mm-hmm. cut the benefits. And that's what happens. Yeah. And and one of the ways that they cut the benefits is they just make them harder to get rather than cutting the um that they, they, they sort of program in a lower uptake rate mm-hmm. right. right exactly because that it politically is like a lot easier it's you know it's harder to it's not really even harder to prove but it's not as easy to get people's attention of like oh they like look at you know Cuomo or whoever cut right. uh cut unemployment benefits throughout the state it's just oh weird uh we we put in this uh we put in this new reporting requirement uh, that we that was uh, intended to catch this extremely, definitely rare form of uh, form of abuse, which is uh, waste, fraud, and abuse, which is still nonetheless sapping tons of your tax dollars. And and oh look, thousands of people don't get this anymore. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's funny because I've always heard of like unemployment insurance and traditional social security compared. Right. And I hadn't thought before. You know, I met phil i guess about the fact that like that comparison is so stupid because um yeah. <laughs> like states can't if states have no money they can't fund unemployment insurance payments and mm-hmm. so it's not actually the same right. not well, to they mention can't the- fund it without doing things that in at a moment like this right okay imagine gretchen whitmer or whomever being like you know okay our unemployment insurance fund is like depleting now, uh, I rate uh, employers who already want to roast me on a skewer at the right. state fair this summer. Um, the you know, uh, we are now going to actually add to your taxes to help fund unemployment insurance. Right. And mm-hmm. also the fact that like the um, triggers for something like Social Security are stable, but the triggers for unemployment insurance are not Right. right. I mean, like would it would actual... almost make more sense for the funding to be flipped because you could make long term planning for people coming to the age of qualifying for Social Security and make, you know, advance in kind adjustments. However, you cannot plan for sudden massive layoffs. Right. Right. And job losses. Well, and the other thing that's so sort of wild about all of this and Phil, you can like tell me if I'm crazy or not, but like the fact that social security is handled like on the federal level, but then unemployment insurance is handled on the state level makes even less sense because as we've discussed, like states have, you know, like less ability to like deficit spend unemployment insurance is so variable and so much less predictable like you know it's it's much harder to plan for when somebody's going to to need unemployment so it just like doesn't the the mechanism doesn't even seem to make sense yeah Yeah, it's sort of i I like to think about it as one of these things that um we sort of ask like why 
you know, why do we see so much like austerity in these programs? And I, I think everything is back of, uh, or financing is back of everything. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the fact that we rely on, it's not just, I think the, the conventional image and I, it's not wrong, but I think the thing that you Mm -hmm. hear on like NPR, like, um, the times or these sort of outlets like, ah, oh, the computer systems are so glitchy. It's these bad computer systems. It really does sort of fit into this right. kind of um, uh, like techie sort of narrative, like our oh, government's just bad at, you know, you go to the mm-hmm. DMV and it like it does. It's not like the Apple store. Right. Or whatever. But like um, but the I mean, the reality I prefer is the DMV to the Apple store. Sorry. Continue. Right, same. I mean, I enjoy <laughs> the DMV. Um, uh, but I think there's just this sort of missing piece, which is, yeah, if we are financing things in this way that, uh, you know, prevents, uh, or sort of really, really limits state governments in terms of what they can, uh, can spend, mm-hmm. then, I mean, what do you really expect to happen, uh, if, if states have to balance their budgets, um, every year, it's mm-hmm. a really right. sort of absurd, um, kind of requirement, which is why, when people sort of describe uh, states, they often sort of talk about them as these sort of like little, little democracies. They're just mini versions of uh, the federal government. And that's just entirely untrue. They simply can't do states are more, uh, I guess it, it makes more sense to compare states to like countries in the Eurozone. Like they don't have control of currency. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have an ability to really um, control the means that they need to satisfy uh, uh, the human needs that emerge in a crisis like this. Mm-hmm. Phil, you're right. And and to be honest, like, I think that the what I think a lot of people are realizing right now is that it just how intentionally um, poorly everything has been set up, that they're really not being taken care of. Um, And speaking of some sort of inane decisions done at the state level, as we were talking about at the top of the episode, let's check in real quick on the New York State Democratic presidential primary. Which has been canceled. There is none. Officially. (laughs) So uh, apparently the desire for millions of New Yorkers to be able to vote in the primary is a inane beauty contest for Senator Sanders and um, that he is a, you know, selfish megalomaniac requiring people to still go vote in the midst of this pandemic. You know, that's the that's the official line. That that they're using is stupid. (laughs) Yeah. So to talk about what happened exactly, um, New York State using some of the uh, sort of austerity budget controls that they have implemented in this year's budget and also under, you know, fears of uh, just like not just costs, but um, not being able to like count or implement election results safely and in a quote timely manner that we just should not have the primary for the presidential ticket. Now downstate races will still be printed and that election is still happening in June. They had initially combined like delayed the uh, presidential primary and combined it with the down ballot races. But um, which was great because that gives a lot of boost to um people who are challenging democratic incumbents yeah. mm-hmm. um, in the state of New York. However, um, that's just been kneecapped by this mm-hmm. decision as well. So it's not just the one vote, um, but the whole thing. Oh, I have two questions about this that no one has. I mean, 
okay, when I was already had sent me the BOE meeting that you guys watched, oh, or did at least you watch point, it? Yeah. pointed me to it. I watched a little bit of it. And I think, I don't know what y'all think about this, but there's, if you like read into what is being said here, uh, there's a uh, esoteric meaning uh, to what the, I, I see the BOE as a sort of like high priestly uh, sort of body with like rites and rituals, no incense, uh, but like there are esoteric <laughs> meanings to what they do. And the esoteric like reading of this is that like, yes, we know that more people will participate in democracy if there is a, uh, you know, presidential level uh, race on the ticket. And, and we know this is like a universal thing. Uh, it's true mm-hmm. in every right. state. If you have your local elections synced up with your uh, presidential preference primaries, turnout goes up, always happens. So what they're saying is they just want fewer people to participate in the uh, local elections. Mm-hmm. They know that. Mm-hmm. The reason that uh, the only like rationale here is uh, we have to cancel this because we want fewer people to participate in the local election. There's no other way of right. reading uh, what mm-hmm. this means, uh, because otherwise, you know, if, if the whole goal of the, the uh, board of elections is we want to make it as easy as possible for as many people as possible to vote, uh, this entire sort of like uh, rigmarole role here, it, it's only interpretable if you understand that as being the opposite of what they're right. trying to do. Um, <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, not to mention the fact that the... Um like the Democratic BOE in, in New York State is co-chaired by people um, who are from the real estate industry. Mm-hmm. Um, one of whom, Doug- Douglas Kellner, has a very long history of using arcane um, out-of-state statutes to enforce property values. Like He basically was involved in the gentrification of the Upper West Side, and mm-hmm. they used this law from like the 1800s. That's the body house rule, um, which hadn't been used in decades to try and quote unquote, like kick out crack dens. So um, it allowed like tenants and neighbors to take up civil action against like individual apartment dwellers who could be anyone from like a, a property owner to a rent stabilized tenant. A gentrification commission, if you will. Yeah. So <laughs> if the state refuses to step in and gentrify your building for you. Then you can take collective action. And no, use, no. And this is what Kellner got famous for is he yeah. went around and was like, listen, the war on drugs is not doing its job properly. I just bought this, you know, house or townhouse or whatever. And next to it is a crack den. Yeah. You know, um, so I got my book club together. Literally, this <laughs> it was organized via book club. Um, and my book club and I got my neighbor evicted. <sighs> Uh-huh. So this yeah. rule had not been used in, I think, 60 or 70 years when Kellner reinstituted it and was sort of immediately then granted some sort of like political cachet to the point where like, so that was in 1986 by like 1995, 1997, he starts like having an active role in like the administering of citywide elections and community board policy and shit like that. And all this guy has done has been like an enterprising um, fucking real estate attorney. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's now the one in charge of like enforcing these decisions. It's 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 quite transparent. Well, beyond that, isn't isn't the majority of the commission appointed by Cuomo? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, a, it's like a naked power grab. Just like I, it reminds me. Yeah. I mean, as one of our sources said, like based on the conversation we were having a couple of weeks ago, you know, when Cuomo tried to just like uh, shut down unilaterally, shut down the state legislature mm-hmm. and say that they had no uh, cause to reopen and mm-hmm. imply that it was almost like unsafe for them to do so. Mm-hmm. You know, as our source said, well, they tried really hard a couple of weeks ago to like make it a moral argument that we should not reopen. And we responded in kind and that was like, we see that as successful and we retained autonomy. And now he's trying to make sure that like, there are not more um, left leaning or liberal or just anti real estate people getting Mm -hmm. elected because when this is all over, he does not want to have to deal with the Albany he's been dealing with for the past two years. And he is pissed about it. Yeah. I mean, New York state has basically, uh, I mean, this constitutes like a complete abrogation of democracy at this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's literally, you know, not only because obviously the the presidential primary has been outright um, canceled so that, you know, um, and that has all sorts of like implications for what happens at the at the DNC or, you know, quote unquote at, um, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. assuming that it's going to be some sort of virtual. Um, yeah. Do they even say is there a New York that, delegation? Like what? Well, there that's I mean, that's something that we can get into. But the thing yeah, is yeah. that um, there are six like on, on mo- between Monday and Tuesday, um, there were six other uh, individual elections that uh, Cuomo canceled. And all mm-hmm. of those um, basically they were they were um, canceled under executive or- order. And um, the the suggested operation here is basically that like it, uh, things will be reassessed for November when the, when the like general elections would be happening, which, mm-hmm. you know, I think I still, I think that things like moving the DNC to August, et cetera, are still misguided and, and fundamentally so much of like what, what people in positions of power are doing is like either kicking, like, are like kicking the can down the road and crossing their fingers basically. Mm-hmm. But then on top of it in November, as we've talked about before, as we talked about um, on a recent episode where we discussed some of the studies that have been coming out from epidemiologists looking at like what we can expect in terms of like potential timetables depending on scenarios based on uh, how long immunity stays in the body mm-hmm. like november could be another moment of absolute like peak uh transmission right. time so it's not really to to simply you know these things can these things could so easily just be moved to fucking vote by mail mm-hmm and they, I know that they like even if you like having watched the board of elections meeting, like the BOE meeting, they're explicitly stating that like, oh, it's it's like a logistical impossibility or something to <laughs> send these things out. Right. It could be so so expensive, and they do all this like harumphing about um, their their uh, like but like budgetary restrictions on like printing stuff or or on uh, being able to actually even like count these votes etc but it's going to be the same problem in fucking november and i honestly can't imagine at this point that like cuomo and his people don't know that have not been briefed on that i know that they're not Mm -hmm. saying these things publicly but like you have to imagine, especially when even from like the CDC, from like uh, Redfield or whatever, are are putting out, are saying, are like saying things like, you know, do expect 
like another spike in the fall, like a or a a dramatic spike in the fall. You know right. that you have to. You yeah, have to even assume, the most fucked and based people are saying we we right. are pretty certain to expect a second wave. When it's even right. dripping out in little bits and pieces from the Trump administration, <laughs> you have to assume that this like fucking bullshit narrative that like oh it'll be fine, we'll delay it to November. I mean cancel and then reassess in November. <laughs> Um, and the, the bullshit narrative of like, even the fucking people saying, uh, and I know we plan to talk about this, but the people saying like, oh yeah, the numbers are going down, which is like fucking ridiculous. <sighs> yes. They're, they're, they're going down from 1000 to 990 and, and then, then two down days to later, we'll 870, go back up to then 1100. up to 1100. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely down. It doesn't matter where the plateau is at. Like you know, the plateau is still a thousand people a day. Even if it were 50 people a day, right. it wouldn't be safe to reopen in New York City if 50 people a day were still dying in the hospitals. That's a lot more than usual. Well, and right. considering the transmission rate. Yeah, the so transmission like, rate right, right now is like almost 1.2, which is right. wild. But this what, is, I mean, even even with like what what people, I mean, I don't know what what people consider like strict quarantine procedure it's just like oops you know but this is sort of like a a macro trend right that like we are like in this moment you can read off people's preferences by two things one how certain are they about the uh the ability of society to um uh re reopen itself and go back to normal uh, <laughs> right. in roughly you know you know september roughly around the time of back to school sales um mm-hmm. and and you know if they are really 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 confident that tells you a lot about their preferences and their the way that they view the order mm-hmm. of the world and it's simultaneously those people who in, in moments like this, you know, so like, what does that confidence entail? Logically, it entails a level of logistical capacity for the state um, that is extreme. Uh, I mean, to the point of absurdity, right? Right. Uh, tests, millions of tests uh, every single day, ter- 24 hour turnaround time on tests, a reduction in transmission by like two thirds. <laughs> I mean, this is that pushes the balance of reason under a variety of scenarios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the same people, uh, you know, the board of elections in this case, let's say, uh, who say, you know, we don't have the legit, you know, what we don't have is the logistical capacity to mm, send everybody in the state who's a registered voter, a ballot where they can mail <laughs> yeah. in something that even the state of Georgia was able to do. Um, oh no, no, no. You keep that you know, in mind. You're- New York State, they, the BOE meeting, they spent 42 minutes debating the fact that the existing envelopes that they had were not pre-stamped mm-hmm. and that that was why we're unable to replicate what some of the other states have done is that we didn't already have pre-stamped return envelopes. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I think it's this sort of, there's this idea that people have called continuity of government. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very, um, well, I mean, I think the problem with it, right, is the way that continuity of government is often described as a very rarefied, limited set of procedures. Like, how do we make sure that our elected legislature and president and governor, or whatever, stay alive? That's mainly right. what I think people will refer to when they say continuity of government. And if they die, who then takes their... Oh, you know, what like, is the chain of command, right? It's like um, the airplane pilot has a heart attack principle 
is the way that most people understand it is like if the pilot dies who will land the plane is the vast like extent to which they understand the concept of continuity of government i mean it was clear like also like when uh think about when boris johnson was put into the icu too bad that he left but um you know the whole narrative was like oh my god it's unclear in the uk who takes control right mm-hmm. <laughs> right but or that's when the what earth people... was destroyed and the secretary of education became the president of the uh ship on the colony or whatever you know <laughs> Is that the plot of Battlestar Galactica? That is, yeah. The Secretary of Education becomes uh, the leader of like the uh, the exiled people of. Or, this is not important. Uh, no, but, that's you know, God, well, that's wow, not aged well. That's very uh, important. <laughs> Yeah. But, I lost. mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I was like, oh, Na- I was just thinking about Nancy DeVos. Like, <laughs> Nancy, Nancy DeVos. Wait, what's her last? Wait, what's Betsy. her first name? Betsy. Betsy. Whatever. Sorry, go ahead, Phil. Sorry, <laughs> please just cut that. Anyway, <laughs> no, I mean, so I think it's like when we think about continuity of government, we're mainly thinking about like who, you know, how do we protect the lives of people who are, you know, office holders and what happens when they die. But we're n- number one not thinking about, uh, or for the most part, not thinking about like. Okay, how do we make sure that people's rights don't get abrogated uh, in the midst of uh, a pandemic? And and second, like continuity of government, I think the term continuity is sort of a it's a weird term because obviously you want to maintain continuity of rights. But at the same time, the way that government or governing works has to adapt like it can't be mm-hmm. the same. And I think that there's this, this sense that like, well, we have the, we have the logistics we have, we have the operations we have. And, it, and if uh, that's not enough to enable people to like exercise their rights, eh, right. too bad. Our uh, hands are tied. We didn't have the envelopes already. Sorry. What voting rates? No yeah, biggie. It's, it's just the voting rates. Why are you guys complaining? Stop having a beauty contest. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, that's such a ruse. That's what our the whole co- beauty contest thing is such a ruse. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it's it's also just like, uh, I don't know, kind of like f- f- fucked up even in the first place that we have so many special elections. Like, I, I'm not sure if, Phil, if this is like uh, the the practice in uh, Wisconsin, but like, d- like, do you guys have all sorts of like local special elections that just happen like all the fucking time? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of, I, I think what's, what's really interesting is you can see a big change in turnout in those elections by mm-hmm. their timing. And this, there's a whole research literature on election timing, um, and its effects and, and the strategies parties use to, to, to do it. But like the big change was the mayoral races in Milwaukee, used to be timed at the same time as the democratic primaries. Right. Mm. And of course it's a city Mm -hmm. where the only important, um, you know, uh, people who are competing for office are like Democrats. So like when you have the democratic race, uh, in, in Milwaukee, not on the same aligned. Yeah. Not on the same, at the same time, uh, the, the primary, I mean, uh, at the same time as the democratic primary, they used to mm-hmm. be sort of on the same day and now they're not. Um, it basically turn out completely drops out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, I mean, it's, and it's significant, right? It has a significant effect on the competitiveness, uh, of the election. And so we, you know, we know these things, they're like, they happen with some regularity. And so, yeah, special elections, um, you can even change the bounds of uh, districts in ways, you know, creating creating more at large seats. This is something that happens out west. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, 
very, very easy to, to drive down turnout. It's really, really easy to create a political monopoly. It's incredibly easy. Um, if, as long as you have the resources to do it and the will <laughs> and the will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I feel like we should move, we should move on a little bit and maybe sort of zoom, zoom out. I think, I think, you know, this whole talk of like sort of misinformation, the way that, that like what is clearly a political strategy move in terms of like suppressing people's voting rights is being portrayed as, um, you know, a public health measure. We're seeing sort of this like national, um, push and pull, uh, of like, will we, won't we reopen on May 1st? The Trump administration today has also said that they will not be renewing the extension, um, uh, like will not be doing an extension of the stay at home order, which expires today, uh, Mm -hmm. 30th actually. So, um, you know, that coupled with the fact that May 1st is coming up, many people can't pay. There's a growing, can't pay may rent strike movement that's happening nationally. And, um, and what a perfect, uh, what, what auspicious timing, frankly, for (laughs) for May day to fall. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's quite, um, quite beautiful. Speaking of poetics, as we were at the top of the episode, it is quite beautiful that this is all sort of culminating around May Day, which um, has been like a longstanding labor holiday that was sort of like co-opted by a, a military holiday in the United States. So actually, a lot of people don't really know what May Day is in the U.S. apparently. Um, I think I saw a poll where it's like only like 30% of Americans that were polled knew what May Day was. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's quite literally what the creation of Labor Day was for. Right. right. To like exactly. divert, um, to divert people in the United States away from like the worker solidarity holiday. So mm-hmm. Right. And they, you know, made May Day more about like veterans because of World War II or whatever. But um, so we've got May Day coming up there. There is this there is a growing rent strike movement that is happening. Um, and instead of responding to that and to the needs of the people, of course, we see a lot of lawmakers responding to the needs of corporations and making moves to deal with anxieties of possible liability they might have for forcing their workers to go back to work before it's safe. Um, or yeah, there's that big push to make sure that there is no liability right. for large employers. Right. Walmart got doing it in a very clever way, right? I mean, McConnell's whole idea is to package, uh, first of all, to say that the limits on liability are going to be what he requires in order to give state and local governments any money at all. Mm-hmm. That that's going to be his trade-off. And oh the second God. thing he's doing is like um, he's packaging together the business uh, lim- limits on business liability with limits on liability for worker Physician. individual health workers um, yeah. and, and other well, people. So because I mean, a lot of those have passed already, even the liability uh, limitations on a variety of like health workers, but I guess that would be an expansion of that or yeah, he's yeah, trying, he's trying to basically ex- like build out a coalition for this shield that goes beyond, yeah. I don't know, the chamber of commerce and the national association <laughs> of manufacturers. I mean, I think the really insidious, mm. um, part, obviously there's quite a lot of insidious stuff here. It is insidious on its face, but I think, um, you know, one, one kind of in a more, in a more abstract way, way to look at this is like already, I feel like the employers have, so little liability or oversight anyway. So right. it's like, you're just, you first of all, you're just kind of like writing in, um, you, you know, like even you're like formalizing what is already basically the law of the land. It, it seems like, um, but then on top of it, like 
I don't know. I, I think of initiatives like um, we've, you know, we've we talked a long time ago about how Amazon care before COVID, like how, how <laughs> right. Amazon care had been set up and was this pilot program to basically make sure that like within Amazon warehouses, um, you would have like a clinic that would be the first place to go uh, for for people um, who are like, you know, injured on the job or get sick on the job or just and that, not that feeling have, well. Yeah. Trying to take a day off. Right. Who would have like broad determinations that would give Amazon itself as like this like massive company town sort of infrastructure, this um, massive control over um, basically like not only not only whether they can just like make sure that their worker goes back to work as quickly as possible, but also like. I don't know the fu- the fundamental incidents of like reporting of I don't know workplace injuries or uh, or things like whether like it keep it would keep more things more information internal for example about like right. who's sick and who's getting hurt and who works at an Amazon who happens to work at an Amazon warehouse right and the fact that like Amazon has built out um, you know they they launched they announced this like big initiative um, in early April. Um, that they were going to do like COVID testing on site, which also is this kind of thing where, okay. I'm so sure for then, managers only. W- no, I mean, I, I, I don't. Also, not that it would matter. I don't think it's for managers only. I think my, what I'm saying is the entire point is, I think, pretty on its face to um, make sure that they are the it's It's like the same reason that universities like hire their own uh, people to be the first line of defense uh, for university liability when there's like a rape right on campus you know what i mean i it like that that's how i read it basically is well well, i mean what a wonderful world it would be if uh companies could just deal with uh covid the way that universities dealt with sexual assault everything would be fixed right company things only right (laughs) but it also makes sense with their business model too right like what is amazon other than a logistics company that's like supported by like a a data mining uh i mean it, it obviously it like it, it um obviously it like folds into like other sectors that they're interested in but i'm just saying this is like one example of like the 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 ways that already information and liability is so mm-hmm. siloed inside of especially large companies um mm-hmm. i mean there was a whole big uh, news story about how like walmart employees who actually both of these companies are part of the same uh mayday strike that are right. going to happen which is great but um Walmart employees, for example, are like, and I think this is kind of, it's weird and unfortunate. I don't know how I feel about this because I, I, I absolutely do not think contact tracing is like the way to go with this stuff because uh, obviously it is, um, we are past the point of meaningful contact tracing. I think mm-hmm. it's like, I, it's would, like agree, I would agree with that. Yeah. So, but Walmart employees are doing like, are basically the, the workers themselves are trying to do like a contact tracing initiative right. um, to right. like internally know because like the, the company is basically like shutting people out from information and trying to like keep anything from like cu- from getting out basically. And so also, they're yeah, organizing among and, themselves to figure out who's been, who's been infected. And Amazon in particular, like Walmart employees have organized to do their own self-reporting contact tracing. And then Amazon this week, just, um, you know, in response to like the union activities that like people like our friends at like, worker have been doing and stuff like that where it's like if you want to send out an employee wide email to I think a group larger of five people you need to get it 
like approved in writing <laughs> so no one can like utilize the existing infrastructure for co- like sharing contact information yeah, in gatherings to- of more than five people are how you spread COVID. right but like right. the thing that <laughs> even thing that on I, email that i think is amazing is that like you know as a as a line of defense like these like what the what the walmart workers are doing is kind of like the most dire awful awful like wartime horrible situation possible right Mm -hmm. which is that these people are their lives are not valued and they are organizing together to try and do what would be the absolute bare minimum right it's a last line of defense it's a last line of defense to literally try and like self-segregate sick co-workers to other parts or like ration their cleaning supplies to like only be cleaning up after the sick workers or whatever and Mm -hmm. it's like absolutely absolutely unconscionable not to not to Mm -hmm. uh take us off on a small tangent but speaking since we're talking about contact tracing um did you guys see the apple and google team up plan for contact tracing yeah i did see that i I did would you would you enlighten me on this yeah can i just i didn't see it yeah let me just explain this for for everyone's edification uh so their idea Mm -hmm. basically is you you like set up a system where people's phones send out um, like Bluetooth signals. Mm-hmm. And so you use uh, those Bluetooth signals basically to like figure out who who else's like devices you've been in close proximity to over over mm-hmm. time. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of this like how to put it. The, the idea is that it's it's, you know, sort of like the way that that Apple does things where it's like you have your information and it's like encrypted within uh, like the local chip on your phone or whatever mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, quote unquote de-identified, although we know that like de-identification <laughs> yeah, right. only goes so far, especially with health stuff. But um, we're essentially you that like that way when that eventually you like if you get COVID, you like report it or something. And then everyone else who's like gotten your Bluetooth signal over the course of, uh, you know, X amount of time uh, prior to that, like is either notified or checked in on and then they become part of like the contact trace mm-hmm. so it's essentially like um do you guys remember the end of the dark night where batman uses all the cell phones mm-hmm. to like create a sonar system and yes. a spying <laughs> network it's basically that is google and someone Apple's watched the dark joint night idea <laughs> well i so, haven't actually I've no, no no i mean somebody while, from, from yeah one of these oh yeah uh, someone from apple and google watched it was like hell yeah contact so tracing this we can do this wait, this is so wait. stupid because all we have to do is like fucking start thinking about things in terms of like sustained open-ended spending in order to like keep things open and we can fucking <laughs> nationalize fresh direct and reorganize like food distribution and like fucking fix it and ride it yeah. out but no instead we are wasting energy both intellectually and like literally as a commodity by like trying to like have enough zoom calls to come up with this fucking bullshit idea that you could have just got from walking fucking but, dark night. But ah! see, the, the thing, the thing ah! that, the thing that should be, uh, well, I mean, will probably be surprising to some people, but should be surprising to no one is that they already have all of this information. They're already collecting right. all of that data on literally everybody. Like, what do you think location tracking is on your phone? That's it's doing right. that. Yeah. Like I am quite certain that like a very, very stupidly naive engineer at Google was like, Hey, we're, uh, we're already collecting all that data. This would be super easy to put together. Let me just put together like a little quick script. Like truly it's, 
it, you know, this is this is data that's like that that these companies collect on us already and and building in a like, you know, a little like I have covid button is like exactly what they are set up to do. And and beyond that, like a lot of this data collection kind of exists currently in this like, you know, I, I want to say very well, I would say generously a legal gray area, right? Like you know, their incentive to 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 do these like initiatives, you know, is is sort of very on par with like, you know, Cuomo canceling the election, it, like in terms of just the fact that they want to like legitimize uh, the the power that like they already have and would like to grow. Right. right. Like that's that's essentially what they're doing. Well, I think it's also like especially considering the fact that like I think we've heard so many stories like just to broaden this out into like a bigger conversation also about like the whole uh, situation with like rent right mm-hmm. um I, I think especially considering all of the um anecdotal like data that we have about various large landlord corporations trying to like circumvent organizing by preemptively trying to organize the tenants themselves in a sense but on an individual basis like uh, our landlord put something under everybody's doors. They like risked the lives of their staff in order to slip something under everyone's door. And our whole housing complex saying, if you're having trouble paying, call us. We'll work with you. We'll help you. It'll be fine. Like every single, you know, obviously every single tenant that called them and like f- took them up on the offer was one tenant that they could siphon off from like tenants that are organizing to do something like maybe a rent strike. And I think we're seeing these sort of like constant negotiations like between the people who have needs and the people who gatekeep their needs where where everyone across the board is refusing to give anyone aid without us giving up some sort of freedom in return. Right. I think and, it's and become very clear that we that is number one priority of everyone with well, and the other thing is that, that they don't want to, uh, I think it's pretty clear that like the strategy now is to siphon off dissent in a, with right. the, with a gentle hand, right? right. The gentle way in doing this. The moment that you bring out the, uh, the angry hand, the, um, the, the stick rather than the carrot is when no one's paying attention and, when right. the sort of uh, the salience of all of these issues has decreased to a point where collective action would be more or less impossible. So mm-hmm. I think it's just important to like keep that in mind um, now, uh, you know, especially, yeah. you know, tomorrow there'll be a lot of rent strike uh, solidarity type activities to raise. Uh, I think really in a, in a way the, the best of them do this thing where they raise the idea that it's not just about, uh, a freeze on evictions now it's about what is the end of this crisis period really going to uh to look like and i think that that's this whole all of these sort of roadmaps that uh you know experts are like trying to draw it just completely mm-hmm. yeah forecloses the idea that, that this is not just like a a period from which we will emerge this is a yeah a secular shift which requires a completely different set of 
institutional prescriptions for human needs, including and especially housing. Yeah. Mm. Well, and I think it's telling that instead you're seeing essentially the like mobilization of reassurance uh, in a way um, from, you mm-hmm. know, for like from from these like officials who basically are going to like, I do think, you know, to your to your sort of uh, slightly earlier point, I do think that you are basically like basically seeing like the manufacturing of the conditions where where people can and will like act actively stop paying attention. I think that that's a lot of what the, I mean, frankly, that's right. a lot of what, like I feel like I see from pretty much every liberal media source. Um, and from, and from like, you know, actions like the, uh, you know, again, not to talk about Cuomo too much, but the <laughs> big fucking unveil of his, um, what of his like N95 mask wool mm-hmm. or whatever. Did you guys see that? The worst, no. the worst oh, yeah. fucking art piece of all time. Oh God. Um, yeah, it's just like a big he he like unveiled this this big square oh, of God. like uh yeah, of uh <laughs> face masks that people have sent him in the mail to thank him, which uh why aren't these not being handed out to people? <laughs> well, they're they're used. So people uh, used face masks and sent them in the mail. Put I don't US know. PS workers at risk. They're I, used. Wait, I yeah. feel like also is no. that is that people just trying to get Cuomo sick? I don't That's know because I, I would yeah. do. But. <laughs> you see thousands of masks from all across America unsolicited in the mail, homemade, creative, yeah. personal, with beautiful notes from all across the country. How many of them mm. do you think they were like, I cautioned this, get fucked, well, bye. <laughs> well, shout out to Tim, as Tim Faust said, a, uh, a nation of boot- bootlickers here. So, <laughs> um, whatever. Uh, yeah, this is what makes, again, May Day such an important um moment Mm -hmm. i think that hopefully let's just why don't we make it uh make it a whole month how about that (laughs) yeah well i don't know about that doesn't really work (laughs) i think we need something a bit more catchy but yeah um let's just extend it how about actually not even a month let's make it every year all year 2020 (laughs) Um, 2020 is the year of may yeah okay yeah so (laughs) tonight also is uh walpurgis night so this is the night where the uh the evil spirits of winter are, you know, finally put to, uh, to rest. We purge them. Um, now obviously we don't want to be burning anything outside, but I have participated in an event <laughs> where we've burned something outside an effigy of someone mm. or something. Um, but, uh, but think about this as a phase shift. Tomorrow is not merely <laughs> May day, but we are now moving into a, a uh, another period, which we get to define. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. like it. I um I think that's a nice note to sort of end this on, actually. So, folks, happy May Day. Solidarity with all of those currently striking or doing a sick out mm-hmm. or simply just attempting to apply for social services. Or planning to strike like the nurses union. On or May planning 8th. to strike. Yes. Yep, exactly. Tens of thousands of nurses will strike. <laughs> let's not have a let's not have a haymarket situation. But, you know, so be safe. Remember OPSEC? Um, I don't know. You know, ah, this whole the whole situation in a lot of ways is very terrifying, but also in a way conceptually exciting because I feel like never before have we had the intellectual space to work in with so much pressure on the show. So mm-hmm. encourage everybody in your social circles to not cross picket lines. Yeah. No scabs. Yeah. No scabs. Support the Patreon. And um 
If you'd like to support the show and become a patron, you'll get an extra episode every week. This past week, we had a fantastic interview with Hannah Black, so I highly recommend that one. Really good. It's patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. Extremely fun. Extremely Mm -hmm. fun episode. Highly recommend. Good one. And uh, we couldn't do the show without your support. So thank you, patrons, and become a patron. And leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. And I think beyond that, stay alive another week and we'll catch you in the next one. Sounds good. Yeah.